Resurrection is a big deal, and it's something that's miraculous, as you see in the video. That's not possible, right? We know that. And you may go, wait, I thought Easter was next week. You said invite people. You're talking about Easter next week. That's next week. Uh, But today we're going to see that the Palm Sunday story is actually wrapped up in resurrection. And we'll get there in in a little bit. But first, I want to put a few pictures up on the screen for you, or I want to ask Drew to put a few pictures up on the screen for you. And and you'll kind of see what these people have in common over time, but I'll just give it to you. Uh, What they have in common is that they are polarizing figures. When you see these faces that we're about to put up on the screen, you either go, yes, really like them, or you go, Oh my goodness, I can't believe you showed that person in church. Uh, So here we go. Here's the first one. The first one should be Tim Tebow, I think. And you, because you're a Christian or you're at least in church and you don't dislike Christianity uh, or whatever it might be, you probably go, Tim Tebow, man, he should be back in the NFL, greatest quarterback ever to play. And if you're not a Christian, then you go, man, that guy can barely throw a football and he throws it at the ground all the time and I can't believe he's famous and I wish he would just stop kneeling and thanking God for every win because God probably doesn't care whether his team wins you know and you're annoyed by him it's pretty it's pretty obvious just get on a blog uh the next one is Sarah Palin Right? Like instantly, you're like, oh, she should have been our vice president, and oh, our country would be so much better. Or you go, oh, like that woman is, this is not me saying, I thought about having us boo or cheer, but I, church unity is important, I think. But you're like, oh man, that woman could have wrecked our country. If she would have been in office, it, like, it would have been worse than it is right now. And you have like these feelings, right? Uh, It's more obvious with the next guy, President Barack Obama. Instantly, I know you're like, yeah, he's doing something. You know, this guy's awesome. Or you're like, oh my goodness, he's destroying our country. Right? I mean, yeah, that's how you are. And and it seems like even Christians are really mean about it Uh, on on Facebook. uh, Here's the next guy. You have the opposite feeling. No matter what you just felt when President Barack Obama was up on screen, you have the opposite feeling when President George Bush comes up on the screen. Like, this guy almost fixed it and he did everything right. Or, oh my goodness, everything that's wrong in our country right now is still this guy's fault. and, And I can't believe all the stuff he did and we're in war because of him and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then the last one, maybe just a little less, but if you're a teenage girl, then you're like, oh, so dreamy, you know, and, uh, and I love him. That's my future husband right there. And if you're the rest of us, you're like, how did that guy ever get a career singing songs? How is that a possibility? I mean, like, he, I thought he was, his first song, I actually thought he was a girl. I was like, this girl's not too bad. Um, and, and now here he is, years later, as like this icon. And if you Google these people, you're instantly, you know this, you're going to get like really good or really bad. And, and you're, when you see them, there's frustration. And, and probably, you know, like I, I just that bothers you that I would say anything, you know, on the good side if you don't like these people. And, and on the bad side, if you do like these people. I mean, how does Chad even know that President Bush isn't perfect, you know? I mean, like you have this kind of tension. And here's what I'm here to tell you today. When it comes to resurrection, or the source of resurrection, then you should have those same types of feelings one way or the other. Let me explain for a second. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Daniel, don't know how to say his last name, but let's try Ekechukwu, like that. He's, uh, he's an African man, 
and it is reported, pretty widely reported, that he was raised from the dead after two days. Uh, the story kind of goes, it's kind of crazy. There's a documentary out there. I'll tell you his name later if you want to know, and you can look him up. The story goes that he went to the morgue, and there was actually hymn music praying, and there was like stars floating above his coffin or casket or whatever they have in the morgue. And, and so they, they released him. And he was going to be buried. He had wooden pegs in his nose, which is a tradition where he is. And his wife said, no, don't take him to the graveyard. Bring him to the church. I want him placed in the church because I believe he's going to come back to life. And then after two days, he gets out of the casket. Or... You may have heard, oh yeah, yeah, this one quote. One author from the article I I, uh, saw that talked about Daniel said, this is a story that doesn't have the kind of evidence to satisfy the skeptics, but is sincere enough to thrill the believers. You see, there's kind of this tension. Either you go, well, I'm a Christian, and that's exciting. Or you, you go, people are lying, and that makes me mad. And if you're a Christian skeptic, which I am with a lot of these stories, let me be honest, it, it, it's like these people are making my job harder because they make everybody think Christians are liars and weird. And uh, the Daniel story is all right. But then there's this. There's the Lakeland Revival. Who's heard of the Lakeland Revival? Does anybody remember that? Uh, I remember it just blew up a few years ago. And I actually tuned in online because it was like everywhere. It was like Yahoo, Google is like in your face, the Lakeland Revival. And the Lakeland Revival, like 400,000 people came to Lakeland, Florida, uh, and it started as like a two-day revival. Some guy was coming in to speak, old-time revival, and, and it went on for months and months, and the guy continued to speak, and things continued to happen, and people were slayed in the Spirit, and people were getting healed, and like 1.2 million people tuned in on the internet to watch uh, from afar, that's how, like the type of power, or they were like me and they just wanted to see what was going on, but it's like 1.2 million people thought there was enough power in this event to like tune in, and there was reports that people were getting healed from other places around the world. And it's interesting because 20 people at least claimed or were claimed to have risen from the dead. The author where I, I kind of pulled this up from uh, said this, a blogger. He said, as a 90s church kid raised in North America, I feel forever caught in doubter's limbo. On the one hand, I have purposely and intellectually based my worldview around a God that if he wanted to, could move mountains, heal the sick, and raise the dead. On the other hand, I'm cripplingly self-aware of how ridiculous these ideas often seem to secular and cynical contemporaries, not to mention myself. I watched the documentary about it, and it's a fascinating documentary, The Lakeland Revival, because <laughs> it, it, it seems like the documentarist, is that how you say that, the guy that made the documentary, uh, he seems like he's like kind of starting to buy in that this whole deal is real. He actually has video of his camera people like, like having very powerful spiritual moments, and it seems like he's buying in, and then you get to the very end, and... and and it's like, and then this guy got divorced and remarried within a year after this revival, the guy who was the leader of the revival. And, and, and so you, you almost are left with any type of revival, with any type of resurrection, anytime somebody makes such a claim, you either, if you're being logical and rational, you either have to go, everybody should be drawn to that source. 
I mean, this is a life-giving, powerful, real substance uh, source of, of life. Or you go, those people are liars that are hurting people's faith and they are to be rejected because they, they are not telling the truth. And if a person's not telling the truth, they're false prophets. And God has a lot of stuff to say about prophets in the Bible, uh, false prophets and how bad that is. And these people are to be outright rejected. And sometimes, when it comes to Jesus, we don't take this approach. Some people, a lot of people, both on the Christian and the non-Christian side, are somewhere kind of in the middle when it comes to Jesus. You may come here today calling yourself a Christian, and, and, but you're just kind of you know, a Christian, you like, you subscribe to some of the beliefs, but you don't really read the Bible. You don't really follow Jesus. It's not like a, a big thing, a big part of your life. I mean, you, you're here in church maybe for the first time and you're like, I, it's the first time I've thought about Jesus in a really long time was when we were singing Hosanna. I mean, that was kind of, that was kind of it. And then kind of on the other side, you have like the non-Christian who says, oh, yeah, yeah, like, I'm not a Christian, but Jesus seemed like a cool guy, and he seemed like a nice person, and I wish his followers were a little bit more like him. I wish that, that, that people could kind of follow his good teaching principles and, you know, kind of just take the hippie stuff and leave everything else. But Jesus, as we'll see in the story today, is, or at least was claimed to be, the very source of resurrection. And that means if we're being logical, we either look at Jesus and go, you are a, a liar. You are a person who led people astray. You are a person who led people to die. Death that they did not need to die because you told them that you were the source of resurrection. Or you embrace Jesus fully and say, everybody, the whole world should be drawn to this man. And we're going to get to this through the Palm Sunday story because the Palm Sunday story, as I mentioned already, is wrapped up in Jesus as the source of resurrection. We're going to look at John 12, 12 through 19. This is where it begins. The next day, the great, excuse me, let me start again and try to read. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The great festival is the great festival of Passover, something that will be celebrated by Jews this coming week, even to this day. Passover is a celebration of God's redeeming of his people from the oppression and the slavery of the Egyptians. You go back to the Old Testament in the Bible, you go back to Jewish history, and you'll see that they'll tell this story over and over and over again. We were slaves in the nation of Egypt, and God did a series of miracles, and because of those miracles, we were set free, and we became our own country. And this is the thing about Passover is at least all adult males were told that they, by God, that they needed to travel to Jerusalem once a year to celebrate this great holiday. And so everybody, pretty much, that was Jewish in this day was traveling from wherever they lived into the city of Jerusalem. And this is the interesting part of this very first verse. It's a question that if you're a Christian, you probably never pause to answer. And if you're not, you, you never would have seen it in this verse. It says that this crowd had come to Jerusalem for the festival. 
And they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, to the city. Why is that noteworthy? Every single adult male was coming to Jerusalem. Jesus had traveled to Jerusalem before. I mean, why is it important for John to give us this kind of introductory verse to the Palm Sunday story as we move down? Why is it important? Why is it a big deal? Why were people even taking notice that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem? Jesus was famous. I mean, he, he had a pretty good following at this point. But there was a lot of people. I mean, there were celebrities and there was religious leaders. And why was it a big deal that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem? And the answer is simple. It's that the hatred of Jesus had risen. The religious leaders at the time, because they didn't think that Jesus was leading their country or their religion in the right direction, and they thought that he was going to cause the Romans, the people who ruled over the Jews at the time, to come in and put, uh, uh, put them down to kind of quelch his movement, they hated Jesus. And just before this, the hatred of Jesus had risen to a point where the Pharisees, the key religious leaders, had started to say, we need to kill this man. We know that when Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, one of his followers says, okay, I guess we're going to go with you so that we can die too. And so the crowd... Amongst the crowd, they're hearing that the Pharisees want to arrest Jesus at least. Maybe there's rumblings that, he wants to, that they want to kill Jesus. And the Pharisees are putting the word out there saying, If you see Jesus, let us know. Because we want to kind of put down this movement. So when Jesus begins to walk towards Jerusalem, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, if you were like wanted... You were wanted and the, the law was going to get you and you, you know, were going to get arrested and you're like, here's my plan, I'll walk into the police station. That's, that's how I'm going to get out of this whole deal. People would kind of take note, right? They would begin to say, what is he doing? What is he thinking? And so it's a big deal that Jesus is coming into town and then this is what we read and it's, it's quite staggering given the information I just gave you. They took palm branches they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Key piece of information in this story is what does Hosanna mean? Maybe we should have told you that before we sang it 35 times in our opening song set today. But Hosanna means save now. It's a word that was used in the Old Testament, Psalm 118.25. And there, a guy named David who was a king in, in Israel, the most famous king in Israel's history, said, Lord, save me and grant me success. And if you keep reading in Psalm 118, you find out that immediately... God saves David. And so over time, this word Hosanna went from being a request, God, please save me, to just meaning salvation has come. Salvation is here. And so these people are quite obviously chanting at Jesus, our Savior is here. If you read Psalm 118, 26, you'll see that they talk about 
the king or the blessed one coming. So again, we see this reference to the Old Testament song. And then if you went back in Israel's history, what you'd find is that David, that mighty king, had been promised that an heir would sit on his throne forevermore. And so as these people declare, blessed is the king, they are saying, the one we have waited for, the one we have longed for, the one we have looked for, who will make everything right in our country, who will overthrow the Romans, who will sit on the throne forever, has come to make our nation great once again. That's what they're declaring. Jesus doesn't shoot down the idea. In fact, he grabs a donkey. And his purpose in grabbing the donkey is to fulfill prophecy. Prophecy being a prediction in the Old Testament. His goal is to say, look, I am exactly the one that you think I am. We'll see that he wasn't the one that they thought he was in the way that they thought he was going to be it. But he was the one that they were looking for. In another gospel, the Pharisees say, hey, tell these people to be quiet. Tell these crowds to shut their mouths. And he says, hey, if they don't cry out, then the rocks will cry out out. Jesus is declaring, look, I'm the one that's been promised for thousands and thousands of years. But there's this like all-important question that I've never paused to ask until this year. And the question is this. Why the crowd? I mean, why are these people here And why did they get caught up in the chanting, even though we know because you can continue to read the story and eventually they're going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him at that same Jesus. I mean, they're not really like Jesus followers, this crowd. But what what happened? Why are they all there? And you go, well, it's Jesus. He's like the most famous man ever to live. Not at the point in history when this happens. Let me just give you a couple of things that are important as I try to set this up for you. First of all, Jesus gets on a donkey, Sure, he fulfills prophecy, but he's not getting on a white horse, right? I mean, it's a donkey. They're cute enough. They make for good cartoon characters, but they're just donkeys. If he wanted to be like grandiose in his entrance, then he would have got on a horse. And he would have put a a cape on, and he would have put a crown on, and he would have been like, I'm here, let's do this thing. But he gets on a donkey to fulfill prophecy, The pomp and circumstance of this event, while we kind of read it and we celebrate it, and when I was a kid we hit beach balls to kind of get excited, wasn't what it would have been for a king in Rome, or even, for that matter, uh, a, a Roman general who came back from war. They would have come in and people would have been throwing gifts at their feet, and there would have been uh, just tons of stuff to say, look at me. And Jesus doesn't do any of that. He's got a handful of disciples who think they're coming into Jerusalem to die. He gets on a donkey. He's kind of strolling down the road. And yet the people are laying palm branches in his path. And they're throwing their coats down and declaring, you're the one we've been looking forward to. Here's the other part. It's just really interesting. Going out as a crowd to greet people coming into Jerusalem for the Passover was a normal thing to do. 
It was something that people did. They went out. They saw another kind of group coming from another city, let's say Nazareth or Bethlehem. And so they would go out and they would come and say, hey, we're glad you're here, in essence. Uh, We are excited that this party has arrived safely to celebrate our uh, freedom from Egyptian oppression. And, and, And so this is kind of a normal event. But what about this crowd Gets them all excited. What is it that makes it so that they start to celebrate Jesus as the promised one? One more thing. One more part of this that's really kind of strange. Jesus in his ministry would go from having big followers, lots of followers, to less followers. That kind of took place in his ministry. He'd say something that a bunch of people didn't like, and they'd say, well, okay, we thought you were great until you said something I didn't understand, and so we're out of here. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, his disciples are looking around, not going, man, this thing's really taking off now. They're going, we're going to die. This isn't going where we thought it was going to go. A lot of people not too long before this had rejected Jesus outright because Jesus said, uh, uh, he said, unless you eat my flesh, then you have no part of me. We believe that he was talking about accepting him as savior and maybe some allusions to what we do in communion. But people didn't know that he was being symbolic. They didn't understand that. And so they're like, that's a hard teaching. We're out of here. And so this isn't like the the most exciting time in ministry until he starts to walk into Jerusalem. It's kind of a scary time. And so the the million dollar question is why, why is the crowd there and why do they become excited? And you'll never get that answer in three of the Gospels, the Gospels being the first four books of the New Testament that tell us the story about Jesus' life. You'll never, you'll never get the answers there. And most of the time when we preach on this, us pastors, or when we talk about this, or when we read the Palm Sunday story, we do it from another Gospel because there's palm leaves involved, and there's not in the book of John. We just have to remember that they were there. And, and so the whole like name of the holiday is kind of ruined if you read it in the book of John. But John answers at least in part, the question, why? What causes the uproar? What gets people excited? And here's what he says in the next two verses. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. You see, the part of the answer, maybe the majority of the answer, lies in the fact that Jesus has done a miracle just recently, just like six days before this event. And the miracle was that he resurrected a man from the dead. I want to read you part of that story, several verses, and then we're going to, I'm just going to, we're going to play a video, and uh, I'll just say, uh, you're going to have to forgive me for, uh, it's a little bit cheesy, 
A, uh, Jesus is super white. Uh, B, which he wasn't. I hope that's clear to all of you. And I never like that in films because it's so American to do that, you know, like, oh, just make him look like me, you know? And like, well, you know, he was a Middle Eastern guy. Uh, and so that kind of bothers me. But I didn't want to read you 35 verses, and I didn't think you wanted me to read you 35 verses. So I thought we could, we could kind of split it up with, with, with the video. But let me, let me set the story up for you, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. John 11, one chapter. Chapter earlier, verses 1 through 8. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's one of the weirdest verses in the Bible, if you don't keep reading. And he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And then in 11 through 15, verses 11 through 15, we read this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And this is what happens next. The teacher's here. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. There will be a bad smell. 
He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? They took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listen to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here. So that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! He came out. His hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did and they believed in him. The movie leaves out one key kind of line. It's a line that I want to read to you. In verses 21 through 26 of the same story, uh, part of it they picked up on, but they left part out. You'll, you'll recognize this, this first line. Uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see what Jesus says? He says, I am the very source of resurrection. It's not in somebody else. It's not because I pray to a higher power. It's not because of anything else. It's because of me. I am the very source of resurrection. And you see here, and John, it said, the video said it, we read it. It says that the people, many of the people believed in Jesus. They became Jesus followers. They decided to devote their lives to Jesus because they had witnessed this miracle and gone, well, that's the source of resurrection and, and if that's the source of resurrection, then, uh, then that's where I want my life to be. I want to be about the things of him. I want to be his followers. I want to be where he is because we all want resurrection, right? We all want newness of life. We all want to be raised like Lazarus was raised. 
But there's another side of the story. We read that the Pharisees begin to reject him outright. In verses 45 through 47, it says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. We heard that. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. It's like they're telling on Jesus. Like, hey, uh, we found the source of life and you guys need to know because there's a problem here. Uh, and he's going to cause a movement because the source of resurrection will always cause a movement because everybody wants to be raised again. Everybody wants to have life go on forever. And so, guys, I know you don't like him already, but this is what he did. And, and then this is what the Pharisees do. The chief priests and the Pharisees call the meeting of the Sanhedrin. All the religious leaders get together. And to make a long story short, this is what we read in verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. You see, Jesus raises somebody from the dead. Everybody goes, well, that's the source of resurrection. And either the dude's a lunatic, a liar, like they're making stuff up, and they're going to cause big problems for our country and for our religion, or they say, well, I better believe in him. I better follow him. I better do what he says. I better, I better investigate this further. I better go with him. I better become a Christian. You see, there was no middle ground. Either you said this is real or this is fake. And if it is fake, then these people are wretched and they are liars and they are gross and they are leading people astray. Or you say, yeah, Jesus is the source of resurrection. I will give him my life. And let's take it even a step further. We see in the Palm Sunday story that the crowd is there. Why? Because the people who knew the source of resurrection could not keep it to themselves. And so they begin to go around and despite the death threats, despite the fear, despite what might happen to them, they start to tell people, hey, here's the deal. There's this guy named Jesus, and he is the source of resurrection. He can literally get people out of the grave. There was no middle ground, and there was, there's this, actually a third group. There's no middle ground, but there's a third group, and it, it says it in, in John 12, 9 through 11, right before our, our passage today. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but to see Lazarus. They wanted to investigate it. And then it says the chief priest, notice this, wanted to kill Lazarus as well. They wanted to kill Lazarus too because they said if people believe that, that this guy can raise people from the dead, then everybody's logical and intelligent and smart enough to follow him and then to tell everybody else, hey, we found the source of resurrection We found it. You see, when it comes to Jesus, we can't be in the middle. We can't go, yeah, either side. I'm a Christian and I kind of like Jesus or I'm not a Christian, but he seems okay. Because he claims to have been and everybody who followed him claimed that he raised people from the dead. He claims to be the resurrection and the life and they claim that he raised people from the grave. You see, with this information that I have just given you, here's what I believe about Jesus, that he is the very source of life. There's only three responses you can have. If you deny it, then you should absolutely despise Jesus and everything that he stands for. 
If you deny it, then you should despise what Christianity is all about. You should. If you have just received the information, then you should research it. You should go, wait a minute, time out. Is there any evidence for that? Is there any proof of that? Is there any way for us to know 2,000 years later that, that that's true? I mean, is that possible to know that? And is, why do you believe it just because it was written down in the Bible or is there something more? Is there a, a greater reason that you people who call yourselves Christians believe that? And if you've experienced it, then you should express it. I mean, let, let me just say it again. If you deny it, you should despise it. No middle ground. If you receive it, you should research it. And if you experience it, you should express it. And man, you, if you're, if you're just kind of like in the middle, like I kind of follow Jesus or I kind of don't follow Jesus, but he seems all right, then this is a day to make a decision. I mean, I think a lot of people, I think people will make a decision about this next week. But Palm Sunday is just as good to say, I'm, I'm going to receive Jesus. I'm going to receive it or I'm going to investigate it because this guy, this guy up on a stage right now is making a claim that Jesus is the source of resurrection. And here's the thing for us who are Christians, I, I think we know that Jesus is the source of resurrection for a lot of good evidence about the validity of the Bible and all that. But here's how I think we know it. Because Jesus didn't just raise a guy named Lazarus. In many ways, he has raised us. He has raised us from the tomb of sin. He has raised us from the tomb of despair. He has raised us from the tomb of doubt. He has raised us from the tomb of brokenness. He has raised us from the tomb of being, being far away from God and brought us near. And he has raised us, we ultimately believe, from death to life. And we've experienced it. I mean, it's not just like, yeah, I kind of see in the Bible that Jesus is the source of resurrection. No, like... I've experienced a resurrection in my life, not a physical one. I was never in a grave, but I've seen God take me from, from the, the tomb of, of sin and despair and deceit and wretchedness into joy and life and forgiveness of sins and growth and, and, and so many good things. And, and it's why I choose to express it. And I don't, I don't want to make this and invite people to Easter sermon. That's a waste of a sermon. But I do want to make this, uh, it's your job, if you've experienced the resurrection, to express that to other people. There were lots of people who weren't going to believe these Lazarus seers. They were going to go, you're stupid. You're crazy. You're seeing things. There's no way that that happened. But there were enough smart people to go, Maybe I should go look for Lazarus. Maybe I should investigate this. Maybe I should find out more. And it's because people were, were logical enough. I don't even think they were spiritual enough. They were just logical enough to go, I've experienced resurrection. I have found the source of resurrection. And therefore, I'm going to go tell other people. You don't go home from the source of resurrection and go, somebody says, how was your day? And you go, eh, it's good, fine. Anything cool happen? Yeah, some stuff. You know, it's all right. You go, yes! There was a guy in a grave, and then he was dead for a long time, and his sisters thought he was going to stink, and then he comes out of the grave, and, and he had his grave clothes on, and it was really freaky, but he, he's alive. 
And you who are Christians claim to have been reborn. Us evangelical Christians, that's the way we like to say it, born again. But we act like we were never in the grave in the first place most of the time. We act like nothing ever happened to get us to this point. We're just Christians. I don't need to express it. But when it comes, when it comes to the source of resurrection, there are only two good responses after you've investigated it. And it's really just to deny it and to despise it or it's to experience it for yourself and then express it to others. And so maybe this means, because the next five weeks, I, I, this, I'm going I'm to do a little Easter and God forgive me, but I, I just, these next five sermons, man, alive. Everybody needs to hear them. Every single person in the world needs to hear my next five sermons. It's not vain. I'm just telling what the Bible says, but the Bible's really good. And these five sermons are very important. And so I give you two choices. Here's your two choices. Get some guts. And go tell people about the resurrection yourself if you've experienced it. Or let me tell them. Because I have the guts. I hope that you have the guts. I hope that you're just like, logically, I've experienced the resurrection. I used to feel, I, there was that sin, you know that sin? It was wretched, it was horrible. I couldn't deal with it. I didn't know what to do with it. I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't feel forgiveness. And then, oh, Jesus, new life, and now I don't anymore. I'm no longer hanging out in a grave. I, I've experienced a rebirth. I should tell somebody. I think we have this just mixed up idea like, where I think this is what we say. This is what we say, right? Like, I should tell people about Jesus so that they go to heaven. That's kind of lame. That's not like seeing a guy come out of the grave, you know? What it should be is like, I've experienced a resurrection. And I can't help but express it. As I've been studying for this next five weeks, this sermon series about how really this is what it is, all of our hopes hang on if Jesus rose, every one of them. And that's if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Every hope, that the deepest, darkest, most inside kind of hopes that you have, every one of them hang on if Jesus got out of the grave. It doesn't matter if you believe he did or not, they all hang on it. And as I've been studying that, I've, I've just been like, I've done a disservice to Christianity my whole life. And I think we who are in evangelical circles have kind of done a disservice to Christianity because we focus so much, and, and I'm guilty as anybody, on the death of Jesus, but we rarely talk about the life. And it's not that fun to go, yeah, this guy died for you. What we should say is, hey, this guy raised me. Isn't that a lot more appealing? Because if he raised you, and you've experienced the source of resurrection, the only, the only like normal response is for you to express it to other people. And so you can, you can go home from this sermon. This is, this, is, this is what you can do. You can go home and you can, just, you can start telling people, Jesus raised me. He is the source of resurrection. You need it too. Or, hopefully an and or. I would like an and or there. A little slash in the middle. You can tell people, hey, I would love for you to come to church because he's going to be up there talking about what's happened in my life and 
you know, I don't know. He has an education. He may be able to explain it better than I can, but I know that I've experienced it. Now, if you're not a Christian, and I don't know where all of you are in your spiritual journeys, in your spiritual lives, then, then what I need from you, a couple of things. First, I, I want you, if you're, if you're just like, this is something I never thought about really, I mean, I, 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 I'm hoping that you won't choose to just reject it and then you know, despise us, but uh, what I hope is that you'll, you'll go, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to explore this a little bit. I'm going to research this a little bit. And maybe already you can feel it. You can feel God like wants to just raise you right now and you can become a Christian just right now. Or, but maybe you're like, that's a great idea. I would like to be raised from sin and hurt and death and pain and all the guilt that I have and all the, the, the regret that I have. And I would like there to be reconciliation with family and I want that and I want a family to be a part of. And, and, and you're, you're just like, I would like that, but... I don't know. Did he really? Is he really the source of resurrection? Th- then I'm just, I'm just asking this. It's so simple. Two things. After I pray and we do communion, we'll, we'll at the end pass the offering baskets around. We do that. And we like it when people put money in. Uh, but we also have cards that are right in front of you in the little blue baskets. And, and those cards have a lot of different things you can do on you can ask for prayer you can respond to what happens in your heart during uh, a sunday gathering that we have uh, you can say you want to be baptized you can do a lot of things on that card but for you today if you fall kind of in that category i want you just to write on there hey chad that's my name if you didn't know that hey chad uh i need to know more about this and then leave your contact information because otherwise I won't be able to help you there. Uh, uh, and, and leave that. And I will, I will reach out to you. I will talk to you about why I believe it. I will tell you what God has done in my life and why I, I'm so passionate about the fact that I have been raised and, and why I think there's evidence to support what the Bible says that I really do think a guy named Lazarus got out of the grave. And, and I would love to help you with that. And here's the other part. I want you to come for the next five weeks, starting next week, to listen to my sermons. They're going to be part like this is why I think Jesus raised from the dead, but even more like this is why it's important in our lives today that Jesus is the source of resurrection and and actually raised from the dead himself. And maybe you're just like it's Palm Sunday and I'll maybe hit Palm Sunday and Easter so I can feel good about myself for the next year and then I'll come back and, uh, and you know, it'll kind of fit the normal and I can tell my dad or my mom or my grandparents, hey, I went to church, you know, and they'll get off my back and when we're eating the ham on Easter, nobody will say anything, you know, and it'll all be smooth sailing. It'll be great. I'll feel good about myself. But I just, I'm, I'll ask you right now in your own heart, I'm not going to make you stand up or anything, but in your own heart to say, okay, Okay, okay. I'm going to commit to be here next week on Easter, and then I'm going to commit to four weeks after that. And and if you at the end of that say not getting anything out of this or whatever, then I'll say it was nice knowing you, and we really liked you, and you can hang out anytime. Uh, but I think God will start to show you why resurrection and the source of resurrection, Jesus, is so important. So I ask that you would commit to that today. Uh, will you pray with me, Lord? For the Christians that sit in front of me. Man, I just, myself included, Lord, I pray that we would, that we would get back to the resurrection and just be excited about it again. The resurrection of Lazarus, your resurrection, God, that we'll talk about next week, Jesus, and, and then, God, our resurrection. Because, Lord, sometimes as we get further and further away from our new birth in you, 
we start to forget what it was like before you. For people like me who became Christians at four years old, I never experienced the radical altering of my life in the way others have. I have on a week-to-week basis and a month-to-month basis, God. But, but some of us just, we didn't, you know, we, we didn't have that great testimony, Lord. And, and so sometimes it's hard to see how much the resurrection matters in life. But God, if we're Christians, we've experienced it. And I pray, Lord, I pray, God, that we would once again express it. Not because the Bible tells us so. Not because of our guilt. Not because even all the time we think people are going to hell. But because we experienced it. And it only makes sense for us to express it, Lord. God, I pray that when people leave here, they would. They would go and they would tell people what you've done for them. And and they would be looking for opportunities, God, every day of their life to tell people about the source of resurrection. Jesus the Christ, the Savior and King of the world. And I also pray, God, that in this week, coming up on Easter, where we're going to talk about resurrection for five weeks, just such valuable, important information that you have left for us, God. I pray that they would get some courage and they would invite somebody. Maybe, God, somebody that just, it seems like they would never come to church. But you, God, in, in your thinking are saying, I want that person there. God, we want everybody to be raised from the muck and the mire of life apart from you. That's why we that's why we do most of what we do. So I pray we would have the courage to invite, Lord. And God, for those of us who are not those who are not Christians here, God, I pray that today would be a day where they would take this claim of resurrection seriously, Lord. And God, either, either, they would give their lives to you right now and say, Jesus, I believe it. I can feel your spirit moving inside of me. Something is going on in me. And I'm giving you my life today. Raise me. Give me a new life. Or God, I pray that they would say, write on that card and say, I want to learn more. And I pray, God, that they would come the next five weeks and that you would just move in them. And it's so easy not to get out of bed on a Sunday morning unless you get paid to be here, God. Um, But it's so easy just to do something else, to go out and enjoy the sun. But I pray that, God, you would lead them to be here, that they would not forget that they would commit, God, and they would be here. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you did not leave us dead in our transgressions and our sin but you raised us again Lord and we thank you that ultimately someday Lord when you return or we die if we have given our lives to you you will raise us into eternal glory it's an incredible gift Lord we believe that you are the source of all raised life of all resurrection and we ask these things in your name Amen